Welcome. Good morning on a very cold morning to those of you watching online. Uh, welcome. Glad that you're with us this morning. I want to begin by giving you a quote. Uh, I recently read a book, and the name of the book was called Reflect. And the author's point was he, he wanted us to reflect the nature and the character of who Jesus is. And, and you do this by, you become yourself by mirroring the greatest person who ever lived, and, and that person is Jesus. And he has a quote in the book, and it's by a poet called, uh, by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And here's the quote. And, and notice the, the challenge to our identity, if you will, our identity. This is what the quote is. It says, uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson says this, A person will worship something, have no doubt about it. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our loves and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Now, if you, if you agree with this quote, then, then there's two observations. First, we, we all worship something, and I think that we would all agree to that. There's all, to all of us, there's an ultimate in life. There's an ultimate meaning, ultimate purpose in life. But the second thing that we learn from this is that whatever we ascribe worship to or worth to, that shapes us. That, that shapes our identity as a person. So whatever I'm going to focus my mind and my heart on, that's what my identity is going to be lived out. Even though it may be quiet or secret, he talks about, secret recesses of our heart, it's, it's eventually going to spill out. It's going to come out. And, and I give you that quote to, to remind us of, that's kind of where I've, I'm trying to go the first couple of weeks in, in January. The worship of, of God, when we look at the Word of God, when we look at who He is and who God is as He has revealed Himself to us in the Word of God, as we focus our attention on the Word of God, what it does, it, it shapes our identity. It, it helps us to become more like Him. It tells us what to do and how to live. And our worship of God is enhanced, if you will, by the Word of God. I ascribe worth to God. I exalt His name for who He is and what He's done for us. I have a better understanding of what God would have us do. I have a better understanding of the ultimate meaning and purpose in life. Jesus, while he was living there, he was asked by the religious leaders. He was asked by the Pharisees. He said, okay, guys, they asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important thing or the most important commandment, if you will, in the Old Testament? And remember what Jesus said to him? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, there's an ultimate to life. What we think about nature and the character of God what we think about him, as we reflect on him, it's going to shape the way that we would live our lives. That's what we began this year, trying to exalt the Lord. I want us, I want you and I as individuals to exalt the Lord in the word of God. I want to gather together as God's people in a corporate way to sing and lift our voices and exalt the name of the Lord. And in my personal quiet time or I'm reading or whatever, I want to exalt him for who he is and what he has called us to do and to be. Because as I put my mind and my heart, my thought, my focus and attention on who he is and what he's done for us, it's going to radically change how I live my life. The psalmist in Psalm 95 said this, Exalt the Lord our God and worship him at his footstool. Why should we do that? God, by his very nature, invites us to worship him for who he is and what he's done for us. And so what I want us to do is this. I want us to ascribe worth, worship for who God is and what he's done for us. Come. Let us exalt the name of the Lord together in my personal life, in my professional life. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, the Bible says, bring glory and honor to the Lord. And that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been kind of walking through this idea of, of exalting the Lord, exalting God, exalting Jesus for who he is. 
So the Word of God should enhance our worship of God, what we ascribe as worthy to God, but it should also challenge our, our witness of God. In other words, it should, it should change the way that I live my life, the way that I reflect Jesus and what he has done for us. And, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about basically our, our witness, our, our reflecting of the nature and the character of who God is and what he's done for us in our lives. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. And in verse 20, most of us are familiar with this verse, but there's a verse, verse 20, and the verse goes like this. It says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were entreating or imploring through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. What we understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21, is this, that God has given us a ministry that has given us a responsibility. And what we want to do is to, to exalt the Lord or to magnify the Lord. What we want to do is we want to reflect the nature and character of God. And when we do that, it has an opportunity to, to be a light in the midst of darkness. We have an opportunity to point to people about the nature and the character of Jesus. That's a Paul. That's what Paul knew and understood his identity to be. Philippians chapter 1. Notice what Paul writes here. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 says this. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now. Where is Paul when he's writing this? Paul is in prison. So as of now, so right now, I want to live this way. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die. In other words, wherever I am at on the spectrum in my relationship with the Lord, my calling, my responsibility is to live for the glory of God, to exalt him in my life. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, as always, so that now, even in prison, what do I want to do? Well, they may be coming to get me, but I'm going to, I'm going to sing praises to the Lord in the book of Acts because I'm going to reflect what's going on in my life, and, and I want to exalt, and I, I want to lift him up. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how, how we, you and I, have the privilege, the honor to reflect as a witness to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me just read our text. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing to the church, and notice what he is. He's writing to how we would relate to unbelievers. How do you relate to the people around you? How, how do you relate to your unsafe family members? What about the guy that sits next to you in the cubicle or, or the, uh, the person on your ball team? How, how do you relate to those, to those people? I, I think Paul addresses that issue in our text this morning. So let me just read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. From, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not do so any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and what he, he gave us, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has, what, he has committed to, to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassador. It's though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the fact that you have radically changed our lives. Father, you have moved us from, from darkness into light because of, because of Jesus. And Father, I know that at the core of who we are, we want to live 
for you. We want to exalt your name, and we want to exalt and reflect the message of Jesus. So, Father, I pray this morning that you'd open our minds and our hearts to the reality of your word, that you would instruct us through your spirit, that you would instruct us on the responsibility of the stewardship that you have entrusted to us, Lord, about the responsibility of taking the message to others. And, Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, I, I, I would have to agree that almost every one of us in this room, everyone in this sanctuary has this idea that we want to live for Jesus. We want to do the absolute best that we can to live for him. And I think what Paul does is Paul reminds us of the responsibility of how we can reflect, if you will, the message of Jesus to other people. And let's just kind of walk through this. Let's walk through what Paul says. Notice what he says for, he says, listen, you've got to have the right perspective. Paul had a change of perspective. It, he's looking at his life, he's looking about what what has happened in the past, and he's reflecting on how his life has radically been changed. And he's saying, we need to have a different perspective in life. Let me ask you this. Before you came to Christ, what did you think about Jesus? What did you think about church? What did you think about the the people in the church? I mean, I don't know about you, but I had some really odd thoughts about people in the church and the nature of the church. You know, they're just a bunch of people, balls and rules and regulations. They don't want you to have any fun anymore. I want you to do certain things. It's all about the things that you do. We, we have this perception. Let, let, let me ask you, what, what perception do you have of your life with Christ right now? Do you believe what the Bible has to say about him? Are you believing that God can radically change a human heart? By the way, do you believe that God can change the nature, the heart of the person, the hardest hearted person that you might know? Think about Paul and, and the radical transformation that he went through in his own life. He was known as Saul. Saul had gone through a radical change, a radical perspective. Why? Because he understood something about Jesus' life. He understood, okay, Jesus went to the cross and he hung on a tree. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 21 says anyone who hangs on the cross and hangs on a tree is cursed. So Jesus can't be anyone special. He hung on a tree. He was cursed of God. That's a logical perception of of who he is. That's a perspective of him. And he took it one step further. He also knew that this... That this Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be the Messiah. He came on the scene and he said, I am the Messiah. Will you follow me? Will you embrace me? Will you change your life because of me? Well, if he is the Messiah, then why was he crucified and placed on a tree? Why is he cursed? That means he's cursed. He cannot be the Messiah because there's no way that God would allow the Messiah to die on the cross and be cursed for his life. And the last logical step most likely that Paul had was this, that he got Jesus God exactly what he deserved. Why? Because Jesus came on the scene as the Messiah and proclaimed himself to be what? Equal with God. He claimed himself to be equal with God, to to have the very attributes of God, the Messiah. So the logical perspective from Paul is this, that he was accursed. He hung on the tree. He was cursed from Deuteronomy chapter 1. He's cursed because he claimed to be the Messiah. He's cursed because he claimed to be absolutely God. And Jesus got exactly what he deserved, death on the cross for pretending to be the Messiah. In other words, for Paul, Jesus was simply another man. From a worldly point of view, he's just another man. He wasn't any different than anybody else. And I think that's that's a lot of the conversation that we have with maybe the people that you and I would know. Well, this Jesus guy is nothing really special. There's nothing really unique about him. Some people might say, well, we don't even know if he really lived There's a lot of evidence that maybe Jesus didn't even really live. Or there's not a lot of evidence with Jesus outside of the Old Testament. They have this this human, this worldly perspective, if you will, of of Jesus. And that's that's what Paul did. He had this worldly human perspective of Jesus. Until God did something. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, he's walking, going from from city to city, town to town. He has these papers. 
and he's arresting followers of Jesus Christ. He's arresting them, and he's, he's throwing them into jail. Why? Because, because of the blasphemy of, of Jesus. And he's grabbing these people, and he's throwing them into jail because of his zealousness, if you will. And then all of a sudden, the bright line shines, and he hears the voice of God, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the resurrected Jesus Christ, opened his heart and his mind to the reality of who God is. And it changed his, entirely, his entire perspective of the nature and the character of the Messiah. The Messiah would come and he would actually come and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He would give himself as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. So in verse 16, when he writes, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What Paul is hinting at, what Paul is reminding us is this, that God can change the human heart. That God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if God can change a man like the Apostle Paul, if he can radically alter, change his life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if he has this worldly perspective of Jesus, God can radically change the heart of your friend or your neighbor. I mean, think about the nature of the new birth. From, from darkness, we go to light. From, from no hope, we go to hope. From e- eternal separation to eternal life. We, we have all of those wonderful, but God does an incredibly wonderful, powerful work, dramatic change in our life because of what God wants to do with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but do you look at some of your family members and some of your friends and think, well, what's ever going to happen with them? Are they ever going to embrace Christ? Do I just kind of write them off? Do I leave them? Do I just forget about them? What Paul says, and he reminds us, is this, that you and I, we, we shouldn't write anyone else. We should look at anyone from a worldly perspective because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the faithful witness in our life, can radically change that person and introduce them to Jesus Christ. Notice what verse 17 says. Notice how Paul points us to what happens on the inside of our life. A, a radical transformation happens, and not just on the outside, but on the inside. Look at verse 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. Are you in Christ? Do you, do you know what it means to be in Christ? This is one of the most powerful, incredible statements in the New Testament, to be in Christ. I mean, think about the implications. Think, think about other religions. Think about, if you, if you will, a Buddhist. A, a Buddhist doesn't go, I am in Buddha. A, a Muslim doesn't come in and say, well, you know what? I am, I am in Muhammad. Christian scientist, Mary Baker uh, Mary Baker Eddy. The, the Christian scientist doesn't come and say, I am in Mary Baker Eddy. They don't, they don't say that. A Mormon doesn't say, I'm in Joseph Smith or I'm, I, I'm in someone else. We as Christians, what do we say? We are what? We are in Christ because God has done something truly remarkable by placing us in the body of Christ through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you accept it? Notice what he's talking about. Something new happens on the inside. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come into my life. Do you believe that? And are you changed on the inside because of what Jesus has done? The Bible talks about Jesus coming to make his home inside of us. Colossians talks about this. The hope of glory, which is what? Christ in you. Christ living in me. The Spirit of God living inside of me. Why? Because I am in Jesus Christ. And not only am I changed on the outside because of the things that I will do, but my motivation for changing on the outside is because what Christ has done for me, what? On the inside. He's changed me on the inside and given me an entirely different disposition to how I would relate to my family, how I would relate to my friends. Colossians chapter 3, I I believe, captures a, a beautiful example of what Paul would write about and the nature of this change, the nature of what it means to be in Christ. And notice what he says. We talked about this when we went through the book of Colossians. Notice what Paul writes. 
Since then you have been what? You've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you died. When did you die? When Christ died, Christ died for me. Christ died my, for, for my death. I don't have to die. I don't have to suffer for all of my sins. When Christ went to the cross, he offered himself for, as that sacrifice for sin. I died in him, Galatians 2.20. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Do you realize it doesn't matter where you go, but your life is hidden with Christ in God? When you go to your school, when you go even to the most difficult, challenging places of all, your life is hidden with Christ. In God, you walk with him. He's living. The Spirit of God is living inside of you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, we look forward to that one day when Jesus is going to return. Notice it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Think about the radical nature of this change. Crucified, raised with Christ, hidden my life in cross, one day in the future, I'm going to be glorified with Christ. I'm going to be like Christ. Do you understand the nature of how you've been radically changed on the inside? Before I became a Christian, I was living in uh, Northern California, or I was living in Virginia, and I was, I was going to school. And, and my life before Christ was pretty, pretty, pretty bad. I, I would describe it as this. It was full of pride in the sense that, man, I just thought that I had the world by the tail. I could do whatever I want. I've been successful in a couple of areas, and I was just, it was all about me. I, I was self-sufficient. It was all about me. It's all about self-sufficient. It was all about experiences. You know, I love to have experiences, uh, and a lot of times those experiences related were either alcohol or, or immorality or, or things like that. There are all kinds of, of things, experiences that I was uh, getting involved in. The, the path of my life was one of just doing whatever I wanted to on, a, on, a, on any kind of day. The, the morality of my life, I remember one time sitting there in my room thinking, when am I going to have some convictions? All the things that I said that I would never do, I'm now beginning to do. When am I going to have some morality? When am I going to have some conviction? And it wasn't until I gave up, quit running from Jesus, that he radically changed my life. I gave my life. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all of this ugliness, all of this alcohol, all of this immorality, all of this stuff was simply wiped away. All of that is wiped away. And if your life is there, if this is all of you before Christ or, or whatever, or however you would describe it, all of that is like this. It's taken and it's wiped away. And I become a new creation. And now I'm what? I am in Christ. And I have all of the blessings that Jesus has garnered for me in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. All of that has been given to me. I am a radically new and different person because of what Jesus has done for us. He wipes away my past and he gives me a beautiful future. Many years ago, I was at the Moody Pastors Conference. I want to tell you a story. I was at the Moody Pastors Conference and, and I love the speakers there. I love the people that they bring. They always bring speakers who are centered on the Word of God, who teach the Word of God. Well, a couple of years ago, they had a guy by the name of um, Christopher Yuan. Um, I don't know if you know, know who he is, but uh, he wrote a book. He and his wife um, wrote a book, and the name of the book is Out of a Far Country. And I had heard him speak um, at the, the conference. And so um, when I got home, I, I, I went, and I was so fascinated about the story that I, I got his book, and I wanted to read his book. And so what I want to do is I want to just tell you, um, his life. I want to tell you the story of his life. Um, he was following, Christopher was following his father's footsteps. His father was a dentist, so he was going to 
uh, become a dentist, and uh, he was going to dental school. He was going to probably take over the practice for his father. And while he was doing all of this, the secret recesses of his, of his life, he had this secret immoral life that he was living. He was also involved in drugs and alcohol and all of these kinds of things. So he was going to dental school, but he was abusing drugs and abusing morality and all of those kinds of things. A lot of times when you do that over a period of time, it catches up, and it did. It cost him things. It cost him his relationship with his parents, and it cost him his relationship with his school. Four months before he was getting ready to graduate, they kicked him out of dental school, and he lost his relationship with his parents because of what he had done. He really had no future. The only thing that he knew what to do was to be involved in immorality and to sell drugs, so that's what he did. He began to sell drugs, and he was very, very good at it. made a lot of money selling drugs. He got deeper and deeper in this, this sin and this path of separation um, from his family. He wanted nothing to do with them. Well, his parents eventually came to faith. And they thought, you know, if we could just tell him about Christ, if we could just show him what it means to be a Christ follower, um, he would be removed from this. And they tried to talk to him. We simply kicked him out. They went over there one day to talk with him, and they brought him a Bible. And before he could do anything else, before they could do anything, they, they, he basically kicked him out of the house, and they took the Bible, and he threw it in the trash can and kicked him out of his house. He didn't know what to do. He got deeper and deeper in selling drugs. And one day, 12 DEA agents knocked on his door. They walked in and they saw what was going on. They saw the marijuana. And they, because they had been doing an investigation of, here, of him, they charged him with selling 9.1 tons of marijuana. And they arrested him and threw him in jail. His first call when he was in prison was to his mom, to the family that he had rejected. The first words out of his mom's ma- mouth were these, son, are you okay? Three days later, he was sitting in a jail cell when he saw something in a trash can. He walked over and he pulled it out. It was a Gideon's Bible. He began to to read through the Bible, read through it and find out what was going on. And because he was so steeped in immorality and drugs, his life was about to radically change in 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 an even more dramatic way. He was called to go to the the nurse's prison, uh, to to the office, to the medical office there. And then he walked into the office, and, and the gal who was there, she, she couldn't even look at him. She couldn't, she couldn't lift her eyes from him. And she handed him a piece of paper, and on the piece of paper were three letters and a symbol, H-I-V positive. So not only was he in jail for these drug charges and the things that he was now had HIV positive, and he didn't know what to do. He went back to his uh, cell, and he was just devastated. He went back to his cell. He laid down in his bed, and he looked up. And he looked up, scribbled under the bed, the top bunk in front of him were these words. If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Most of us are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11. If you're not, let me just read the words. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And he began to wonder, even though he was going to spend the next who knows how long, uh, five, ten years in prison. And even though he was HIV positive, could God somehow, some way, have a plan for his life? He was eventually sentenced for six years in prison. And uh, he lived out of six years, and uh, he used that time in prison to, uh, to, to study and to change his life. What, what fascinates me about this story and about the book is this. It's his mom, Angela, and what she did to bring the cross, if you will, to reflect the life of Jesus to him, even though he wanted nothing to do with her or nothing to do with his family. 
what she did in being used by God to bring the message to him was absolutely incredible, the way that she lived her life from this perspective. She modeled a life of faith, even though he didn't want anything to do with her. Prior to his conversion, she would write him letters, and she would send a card to him, and she always wrote the letter and enclosed these words, love you forever. A lot of times he would get the, the card. He wouldn't even open it. He wouldn't even read it. He'd just take it and throw it in the trash. One of her prayers was this, Lord, have mercy on my son. She would pray for him and fast for him on Mondays for seven years straight. There was one particular point in time where she fasted and prayed for 39 days over the soul of her son because she loved him. Every, um, uh, every morning she would get up and she would go into her prayer closet and she would intercede on behalf of her son to the Lord, asking that God would somehow, somehow change his heart. When she found out that he was um, in prison and arrested, she got a, a, a piece of adding machine paper and she took this piece of paper out and she began to say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count my blessings. And the first thing that she wrote on that piece of paper was these things. Christopher is in a safe place compared to where he was before. He called home for the first time. I love this story because what it demonstrates is this, that Angela saw her son and knew that somehow, someway, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, could change his life, and she didn't give up on him. From a worldly perspective, she was not going to give up on him. If God could change her heart, if God could change Paul's heart, if God could change every other person's heart, no matter how hard and callous they are, then she wasn't going to give up. And, and so what, what I think for us to remind ourselves is we, we do and should have a new perspective of how we view our, our world, maybe how we view our family members. And do you have a family member that's, that's, that's put the brakes on with you to the no, I'm not going to let you talk about that. Do you have a friend that, that puts the brakes up and, and puts the hands up and says, no, no we're, we're not going to talk about that? You know, we don't have to dismiss them. We don't have to look at them from a worldly point of view. What we can do is we can look at them through the eyes of the cross. And, and, and maybe the way that God might want to use your life and my life in such a way to draw them to the cross when it's difficult and challenging in life. Things change. Circumstances change. But I believe God's plan A for you and I is to be a living testimony and to reflect the nature and the character of God. By the way, what happened to Jesus? Wasn't he rejected? Wasn't he spit upon? Wasn't he mistreated? We're going to experience that. And how we respond to those things gives us the opportunity to, what? to reflect the nature and the character of Jesus. Oswald Chambers, a man that we know that prayed a lot, a lot of his books are in prayer. L listen to what he said. He said this, we are not here to prove that God answers prayer. We are here to be living monuments of his grace. Living monuments of his grace. Paul's life was radically changed. Angela Yuan's life was radically changed. And what she did is we, she simply reflected nature and the character of who Jesus is. And God used her in the life of her son. So we have this new perspective of life. Second thing is this. If we have a new perspective on life, then the way that we view other people, the way that we view lost people should change. And it should change us on the inside. We should have compassion for the world around us. The Bible says this, because of our new position in Christ, because we are in Christ, we should recognize that God wants to use you and I. You and I have been given, actually, we've been given a stewardship, if you will. Let me just summarize the text, if you will. 
beginning of verse 18. It says this, notice this, all this is from, it's from God. Verse 19, that, that God was reconciling the world. Verse, 20 says, verse 19 says this, He has committed to us this, this message. What's the message? A message of reconciliation. Verse 21, as though, as though God were making His appeal through us. And verse 21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. All of these verses, this whole text is about what? It's about what God is doing in the world. It's about God, how God wants to use you and He wants to use me in taking the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And, and we have this understanding that God can change a heart. He can change the nature of a person. David, in Psalm 18, verse 20, notice how he, he, he speaks to God and how he calls God. It says this in Psalm 18, The Lord lives. Praise be to the rock. Exalted be God my Savior. If you turn to the New Testament in the Magnificat, in Mary's words, she talks about God being a saving God. God is my Savior. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, Luke writes three parables about lost items, sheep, corn, and sons. In all of those parables, in Luke chapter 15, it reminds us of the nature and the character of God. That when God has the power through the Holy Spirit to radically change a life, heaven rejoices. Because God, because of who He is, is reaching out to the world. And you and I should be reaching out to the world, to the lost and dying world, with the message of Jesus, and living in such a way that we're reflecting the cross. Luke chapter 19 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Do you understand the stewardship that God has been given to us? He has what He's, he's committed to us, the message of reconciliation. He's, he's entrusted us with a message. You and I have a stewardship entrusted to us. And, and let's not be so quick to close our minds and our hearts off to people that we would come in contact with, thinking that there's no way that God could change them, because God can change them. God's plan is to use you and the stewardship that he's entrusted to you to tell people about Jesus. But notice there's something deeper in here. We, we, are, we, we are his representatives. Verse 19 says this, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation has the idea of this. We change from one thing to another. It has the idea of an exchange. If you go back to verse 20, there's an exchange. I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I've exchanged my life for the life of Christ, if you will. This new life living inside of me. And because of that, verse 20 says this, we are Christ's ambassador. What does an ambassador do? Verse 20 says that you are God's ambassador. What does an ambassador do? They, They represent their country. You know, I looked this up. I was kind of curious about this. What, what does a U.S. ambassador do? We have 189 of them. Well, they, they represent the president. They represent the United States. When they go to all of these different countries, they build relationships with them. They come on the authority of the president. They come on the authority, if you will, of the United States. They come with this idea of maintaining relations, if you will, of, of having these relationships enhanced. It's the same for you and I. You and I have this great privilege of going to an unbelieving world and being God's representative. Do you realize that is plan, that God's plan A? That is God's plan A for the world. That we, because we've been changed on the inside, because we are in Christ, we would go to our communities, we'd go to our neighbors, we would sit down with the people around us, and we would have conversations with them about who they are, about their identity, and how Christ can possibly change. The question I have is, is, are, is that mindset even within us? 
Are we looking at lost people? Are we looking at the person that I might have contact with? Maybe it's my neighbor. Maybe it's the person at school, somebody around me. Are, are, we, are we looking and trying to have those kinds of conversations with people so that we can tell them about the nature and the character of Jesus? Or have we just forgotten about that? And we just said, well, you know what? God's going to save him anyway. He doesn't need me. No, no, God uses you. That's the point. God uses people like you and I to write letters, to talk to, to introduce to people. See, the new orientation of being in Christ means this. If I've experienced something radical in my life, then what should happen? Then what I should do is I should have compassion for other people because of what God in my life. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. And I think what he does is he closes this. He closes this with an appeal. Verse 20 and 21 talks about this. Making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. The word appeal means this. It means to earnestly call or summon for a response, to appeal. I was thinking about this in baseball. In baseball, when the umpire at first base makes a call and you don't think it's right, what do you do? You have an opportunity to appeal. You're not mad. You're not angry. What, what, what do you want to do? What, what does the, the opposing team want to do? They want to make sure they what? Get it right. That, that's what we want, right? Don't, don't we want to make sure that people get it right? We have the nature and the character. We want to make sure that they get it right, that they're on the right track. That's what he's talking about. Implore you has this idea of something. We, we beg you. The New American Standard Version says, we beg you on behalf of Christ what, to be reconciled to God. Appeal, implore. Doesn't that, doesn't that give it a sense of urgency? Doesn't that give it a sense of urgency for the way that we would live in our lives? And, and notice verse 21, and then we're done. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that interesting? Become the righteousness of God. In other words, as you and I live our lives focusing on the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we understand our faith and we understand what God is doing, as we exhibit mercy and as we exhibit grace and compassion and all of those things, but we are becoming the very righteousness of God. We are living out the very righteousness of God to a lost and dying. And so what Paul says here is, listen, don't give up on people. Don't look at your friend, your neighbor, strictly from a worldly point of view. Look at them with the heart and the compassion of God and reflect. Think about the way that you're living. Reflect the nature and the character of Jesus and what he's done for you. you know, there's a great story that I use at Christmas time, and it's, it's about the woman. She crashes the party, and she comes into um, the, the Pharisee's house, and she's behind Jesus, and she's just bawling her. There's, there's tears coming down her face, and she's, she's uh, anointing Jesus uh, feet with, with tears and with, uh, uh, with, with oil. She's brought this, this alabaster jar of oil. And people are looking at her going, what in the world is that woman doing? Who is she? If Jesus really knew who that woman was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. And the point of the story, Jesus knows exactly who she is. She's a woman who needs God's grace. And the parable that Jesus tells after that is this. If you are forgiven much, you will love much. If you are forgiven little, you will forgive little. You will love little. And, and the point is not so much what God has done in the past in our life. It's about what we think and reflect on who God is and what he's done for us to change us and cause us to live for him. Father, 
all of us in this room have experienced, I would imagine, your grace in changing us from a path of, of darkness to a path of light. And Father, I do ask that you would help us to reflect the very nature and character of who Jesus is. Father, we know that you've changed our life. We know that what you've done. And Father, I pray that you would specifically bring people in and out of our lives. Lord, it could be a neighbor. Lord, it could be a conversation that we would have this week. Father, it could be our own family member that we would not give up on them. But God, we would be diligent to, to pray. We would be diligent to ask that you would open doors, Colossians, so that we can speak the mystery of Christ to people. Father, I ask that you would do that. Father, give us a heart for those around us who need to know Jesus. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.